0: You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 7, members discuss special education with Venus Reeve.
1: I would say, like, that goes back to how as a special educator, we wear so many different hats because I know all three of us or four of us, excuse me. um, We do such a great job of making sure we get to know every single one of our kids and how to work best with them. And not many adults have that capability. Some will say like, I cannot work with this kid. They, you know, we don't mesh. That's not an option for the four of us. And so that's a big, you know, that's, that's a lot to have to consider in the day.
0: That personnel management component too. And as you were talking, I realized that in our, in the district, we all work in the same district and in our district at the elementary level, you are both a special education teacher and the case manager. And one of our previous podcast guests was a case manager and him describing his day as a case manager, not both roles was, was really intense and, It reminded me that I really want to point out, we do both. So that case management component with all of that collaboration and all of that paperwork, plus the special education teacher component, which involves a lot of personnel management, relationship management, it sounds like too. Um, (laughs) It's so highly skilled and highly specialized what we do You can see why there aren't a lot of folks who have this layer of knowledge, but none of us started out there. And So I'm hearing also that retention component. When we have aides and we have teachers and we have staff who know how to do this and are really well trained at this and then we move them here or we're not able to retain them because they've got a better offer from another place that will keep them safer or train them on what they need. Um, The trauma component for staff is something else that we, we might need to do a whole nother podcast on that one, but
2: (laughs) there is is PTSD, absolutely Venus. I say often we need to have a therapist on site for teachers, um, just to have someone to process with. At times I think we go home and I know that we all have to experience this of like, wow, like that was, there are some days that it's heavy and we carry that because we choose to and we love to, but it can, it's hard. It's hard. Well, and I think and Venus, you might know the
3: stats, but you know, the, the turnover rate, you know, for especially special ed teachers is like, you know, every three years or a lot of them, a lot of sped teachers quit within the first one or three years, one to three years yeah some five, and there's a huge shortage. Nobody's coming in to do this right now, either. The shortage in the colleges and universities. And we're really, you know, it's kind of a hard sell. You know, we're like, you know, come to this job, and you aren't going to get the supports that you were promised, and you're probably <laughs> going to work on the weekends, but the kids are really fun. But, yeah. but you know, I mean, My, we have to really, you know, we, we do a lot of PR. We do a lot yeah. of public relations. I mean to hold on retention, and we're doing it. I mean, we should get public relations bonuses from the district because we three do and four. I would, we choose to do this. You know, there are other options in the world. We choose to do this, but we've really got to get that new flock of teachers and EAs in here who who really kind of love the, We we call it the circus of you know, like like a loving. We call it creative chaos. It's you have to kind of like that. It is never boring, ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and that's, but it's a, it's an interesting job. It's a, it's, and you're also, I really do feel like we are. We are, really are. We talk about this a lot. We're not just doing this during the day for these kids to be successful in school. We're doing this for these kids to be successful in society. Okay. And when you get to be, like I'm, you know, I've been teaching doing this 18 years, and that leads into some of our other questions. I mean, be, when you start to see the successes on the other end, there will be sad things. You will see former students in mug shots, and it will break your heart, or you will see them on the street corner. It will, it will tear you in half, but you will also get invited to high school graduations or GED ceremonies. Or you will hold baby showers for former students, or they will send you pictures that they're in college, and you will you will go, oh my God, that's what it was for, that's why
0: we did that. I mean, there really are those moments. I'd love to to hit more of those from you guys and have you share some more. And as you're speaking, it reminded me when I got to go home over spring break, and I mentioned that on Facebook, and one of my former students was like, "You're gonna come see me, right?" And it just Of course, I didn't think you wanted me. Oh, my gosh, you know. But the connections and relationships we build are for life for some of mm-hmm. them.
2: They're,
3: they're really lifetime. I know a lot of teachers, um, you know, have that. But I do think in SPED because I think the kids grow safe with us and, and we do become their protectors and advocates. And I know Katie and Kenny, we have lots of like immediate successes, little ones. And I'll speak because I just mentioned it a little bit, like a big success. I always think back to one student I had who spent a lot of time moaning and and sad and upset under a table in a classroom and didn't want to do things and didn't want to participate. And I remember being on the floor, like like with these little plastic bears going, well, let's, you know, trying to introduce multiplication, like here's six little red bears and we have six rows and here's some blue bears and no, no, you know, and it was just a horrible time for this child in the time of their life. And we worked through it. We got from out under the table, we started doing things and then they kind of went through the system. I didn't hear from them for five years and then I get a call that he has two tickets to graduation, and that he wanted me and his grandma to come. I took it, and I went. He got a four-year scholarship to the physics department at a university, and now speaks fluent Japanese. That's and so said, amazing! And I said to him, "Oh my God, no wonder you were screaming under the table. Here I am trying to get you to multiply these dang
2: little plastic bears. You're thinking quantum physics, you know?" No. And we get- teach some of the most brilliant minded students it really is a privilege like they beat to their own music everything and they but it's such it's so cool to get to dig and pull that out of them and then to see the success later on because some of these kids really struggle to to fit into the norm and so I think that's the big part of our job is coming in and like how can we get them to love learning and to not want to give up on learning as well because a lot of our students are at risk for not graduating or not continuing on an education. And I think that's probably our biggest thing that we want them there. We want them to love school and to love us and learning and how many of them reach out back out uh, back to us is so fun. Like I have really, really enjoyed that. I,
0: um, I want to share one more as you guys were talking. I had this kindergartner come in and we couldn't sing the ABCs song to him. He would cover his ears and scream, no, you will not make me learn. The child has uh, got to fifth grade and had to do a project. And he went through the pandemic. Um, and so he's in distance learning and everything, attendance issues, all of the things, all of the things. And you think, I only have this kid for so long. How am I going to get this this knowledge into them? How am I going to get them to believe that they can learn and to, and to love it, like you said, Katie? And so just did a uh, book project, and they asked him, "Okay, so why did you like this book? Recommend why you like this book? This was the first book, over a hundred pages that I ever read to myself. You yep. know, that's why we, that's why we do it because he's you know so confident that now he's a reader. And six years ago, you couldn't sing the alphabet song. It was you were not making it work."
2: Um, we get excited about the most funny things all the time. We're like, "Yay! They like found this letter or something." We really get to celebrate like from the smallest to the biggest successes.
3: I think, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of our motto. You know, progress, not perfection. You know, when we're. We really look at, at where has that growth come, and I and I'm like you, Venus, too. I point it out to kids. I'll say, can you imagine? Last year we were practicing ah, and now you're reading little books. You know, we, we we show them, and they're like, I'm a reader. What we don't point out is you did just read some kindergarten level words, and you may or may not be in the fifth grade. We celebrate your reading those words and give them that confidence. And then say, other people might be reading a little bit more difficult words, but you're learning all the sounds, we can get there too. It's just, gonna yeah. might take us a while. So it's just, it's a fine line because we also, then they, you know, the other part is, I have so many reports, I'm sure you guys do, they'll say this kid's, you know, down in the classroom and they're not saying a word and their hood's over their head and they're really defiant. And I'm like, they don't, defiant. And then they'll come up in here and they won't talking and we'll we'll share about everything they did. And they want to tell me all these things and they have stories. And I'm like, it's safety.
2: Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm.
3: they have to feel listened and respected and admired. I mean, for who they are. And I always say to people too, I mean, people can be very judgmental of our, you know, children's behaviors. And we all absolutely know that behavior is communication. And I say a lot. If you knew this child's background, you wouldn't step foot in a school. you wouldn't come near an adult so that they're just here and walking in the door, especially with a smile, that's huge. that's mm-hmm. gigantic. That's it. I mean, yeah. and so because we don't share every little thing we know about it, if we it would it, it does eat you up a bit inside it does. You know, I look at younger teachers, I'm much older than Kenny and Katie, and I, I watch them and I want them to care for themselves and and keep, you know, not get disheartened with it all, <laughs> because it, it can... You're an
2: encourager, Kim. You keep this going. You <laughs> really I, I, are. I need it. It. Gets,
3: it gets in your heart. You know, some days you go home and you're like, wow, did we even get anything done or... They seem so, everyone seems so angry or sad or they didn't connect and the teachers are complaining and I just don't know. And then other days you're like, oh my gosh, did you see him? He was the Statue of Liberty today. I love it, you know? I mean, it's,
1: yeah. Oh, sorry, Kim. You just reminded me of one of my favorite success stories on the, like, just the safety net of, you know, the spaces that we create. At my old school, I had a kid who, got pushed out because of his behaviors from a school that had a very low tolerance of some of the things. And, you know, he would not do academics the minute you put stuff in front of him. He's like cursing, tipping tables, trying to hurt you. Um, But then, you know, as his relationship with me grew, he was able, I felt he knew he could trust me and he started vocalizing and we had no things. And it got to a point where, Like, I knew that his big thing was he was just hungry. He just needed food. But no adults have ever asked him that simple question. Do you need food? Are you hungry? And he never felt secure enough. And if he was able to say that to an adult, that they would follow through and give him something to eat. And so... That was my biggest success story in creating that space for him and getting to a point where he knew when he was hungry, he could go and get himself food and then come back to the learning environment. And to see the change in himself and how proud he was being able to do academics that he was never able to focus on before, that light in him was just huge. And it's just something so simple like having food in our classrooms for them
2: basic need. A, basic well, a lot of our job of helping even just our gen ed teachers are all the staff is really learning flexibility and looking at those basic needs first before we jump to assumptions of why a student is doing mm-hmm. something or not doing something. Or sometimes you have to change our tactics. I think, I like you said, Kim, I think some of the newer teachers that we work with the thing that I notice the most is, is fear that they've never interacted with students that have some stuff going on. And to really, I feel what our job has become is going in and making them feel comfortable and saying, like, essentially lower the expectation for a moment, meet those needs, build that relationship, and then you can have expectations. But you have to have that basic level first, especially with our students. Like you need to build the relationship aspect and let let the demands go to the side. And I think even for us in teaching, the days that I struggle the most is when I'm holding myself to this standard of yes. school's supposed to look this way. But I've learned over and over again when I have that expectation, I have awful days, and I'm sure our students do, that yeah. learning can look different every day. And some days it's Like we're getting a lot of work done and other days we might be pulling out craft supplies and playing music and just being together and really navigating that school doesn't need to be this like in like fitting in a box and giving teachers the autonomy to choose that for their students, I think is prime (laughs) that our districts need to push that more to trust the teachers to make that decision of what's going to work for their students.
3: I think, you know, when you said, Katie, fitting in a box, and I use that language a lot, especially when the kids are a little bit older. When I say older, I mean eight. Um, <laughs> but I'll say things like, you know what? School wants you to fit in a box. And sometimes we all have to fit in the box. I fit in the box because I come to school in clothes, not PJs, and, unless it's PJ day, um, and shoes. And I I sit a certain way. I sit at a desk because I have to fit in the box, too, in my role. And so we're going to try to help teach you how to fit in the box, but also teach you ways to tell people, I can't be in the box right now. Or maybe can I sit outside the box or can I sit on top of a box (laughs) or can I have a box on my head because I really am listening. Um, And it's, it's really tricky. Because I, I think that advocacy to say you are unique and different and I want you to embrace that, mm-hmm. you know, instead of it's a disability, this
2: is just who you are and it's cool. We just have to well, work. That's the shift that I think needs to happen at the schools is this concept that special educators are coming in and we're going to fix students. Yeah. It's become a big pet peeve of mine. And I will add, like, no, actually my job is to have you the pointing at the people telling me that to learn, to embrace and advocate and accept kids just the way that they are. And we can adapt our environments to fit their needs. It is possible having people understand that is a whole other, that's another job we do as well. <laughs> just trying to get people to accept our students for who they are. And that to I just don't view it as fixing them. I actually feel it's educating other people on differences and that we all learn differently and accepting that. We hear often from teachers like, well, we can't do that because then everyone else will want to do it. And I think it really comes down to, I've never experienced that with students. It's always been a conversation of that student needs that and you don't, and that's okay. And we can move on from it. So I think it's just making people comfortable with saying that it can look different.
1: Yep. A very tiny example of that is one of my students, like his big ticket is working for jelly beans. I don't supply the jelly beans. His mom, you know, sends them in. All the other students, when they see me giving him some, they ask for some and I'm like, oh no, this is a him thing. You guys have, you know, all of you have your special thing that you get to work for. And adults are so afraid to tell kids that it feels like. And like they think equity means that all kids need to have the same thing, which that's not the case. And teaching the difference on equality and equity, I think is a necessary conversations, conversation.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't you think too with the teachers, um, a lot of them, I, uh, I'm. we're talking about the gen ed teachers, especially someone who's newer or afraid. I always try to pep them up and go, think of the great stories you'll have to tell and the skills you're building working with this <laughs> (laughs) Like at your retirement, you'll be able to say, Oh my gosh, I had a kid that acted like a wolf and I just worked around it and I worked howling into the reading unit. And I mean, because it really is, it really is true. And I think that the biggest part of our job, we always say this, it really isn't working with the children, it's helping others, usually adults, and how they react to children Mm -hmm. and with the children. It's a huge, huge job sometimes when we just have a group
2: and we're with the kids it's okay (laughs) you have to have a sense of humor about it and roll with the punches it's just like the literal punches sometimes (laughs) most teachers will find because I've had a lot of teachers come back and kind of be thankful to have certain students that maybe at the beginning they were like oh my gosh like they're scared and in the end because we learn the most from those students I think Everything I've ever learned in teaching comes from the students, never from like a grad class or a book. It's been our actual students that I've learned through them what works and doesn't work. And to hear their voice, too, I think they're their biggest advocate. And us giving them that voice to be their own advocates has been its awesome.
3: That's Mm -hmm. so funny, Katie, because one of my, I think it was about my fifth year of teaching and one of the kids came up to me once and he said, and I have this quote, it's in my classroom, and it said, you guys think that we're the guinea pigs and you're the geniuses, but actually we're the geniuses and you all are our guinea pigs. And that is so so on. (laughs) So good.
0: Because we, yeah, like the whole interview we're talking guys are talking about all the different skills and all the flexibilities and all of the things that that we do the ways we're stretched it is to meet them each individual kiddo where we are and he's got a point Mm -hmm. They are the geniuses that we are trying to educate and we are having to change and we are having to shift based on what they do um and what they need in that moment and how do we do any of that if you don't have enough people to have time with the child to build a relationship it just, you know, it feels like this, I've, I've taken a grad class this morning and the synthesis is we need people to have time to build relationships. We need to have time with people to build relationships and our students mm-hmm. must have that so that someone knows they're hungry, not defiant. Someone knows yeah. the genius and not a guinea pig. Um, yeah. Someone yeah. understands that they need to have like a, a wolf And then they're going to jump right into that reading (laughs) group. And that's fine. (laughs) It's just
2: whatever floats their boat. We need our districts to value teams. And, you know, when you have good teams coming together, I don't know if there's power in a team. And I think sometimes people want to shut that down a little bit because they have a louder voice. But I think learning that I feel like you want special ed teachers with a loud voice because we're the ones going in and saying, no, this is how it has to be to make it work. And so I know, especially right now at our school, I'm still shocked that they allow the three of us to work together um, because I think there is power (laughs) in bringing people together that really love this type of work and will probably do anything and everything to make it be successful. And if that means advocating or pushing against some of the norms that we've been told to just accept uh, that. But with our team, when you have a strong team, we can support each other and Mm -hmm. support our staff and feel more cohesive and feel like we're actually making a difference and not just drowning because this job can very much feel a lot of special educators say that they feel on an island and they feel alone. We're pretty blessed that we have such a large sped team. But for those special educators out there that do feel alone, they're not alone, I think there's a lot of us that have a lot of the same thoughts and feelings. And I think the districts need to listen about valuing teams, having people feel supported together and keep their staff. Like this year, we're on the docket of losing staff and shifting and that, you know, it gets really difficult because we put a lot into trying to get to know our staff and our people so that we can serve kids and then they change it makes it harder
0: all over again with the training and the relationship building and the specialized G-tube feeding skills or to understand that when a kid looks like that, that means their blood sugar is low and we need to go deal with that right away. It's a health emergency. Those are the levels of of intense problems that we solve. And one thing we didn't touch on that I wanted to bring out and then I'd love for you guys to share anything you didn't get a chance to share, but it's important for listeners to know that as special education teachers and case managers, our job is run basically by IDEA federal law. So all of the paperwork that we have to do must meet legal requirements. And if it doesn't, it's on us. And all of the paperwork mm-hmm. that we create, we must fulfill those legal requirements, those minutes of reading instruction, behavior, social skills, etc. And so add to this, all of this, the layer of we are fulfilling a legal contract every single second we are there. And if we don't, legally, it comes back on us. And so that mm-hmm. extra intensity can can also add to the overwhelming. But to have a team that go, oh, gosh, Katie, how did you write that reading goal? Or Kim, what, what seems an appropriate amount of SDI? You've worked with the student. Help me. What are you seeing having those? having time and people to do it with, but having that team Mm -hmm. um,
1: seems to help. And I'll add to that, Venus, in that like, you know, um, and Katie and I are fortunate enough to work in the same classroom, but on days being the special education teacher and the case manager, on days where I know I'm prepping for a meeting, and especially if it's a meeting that is a little more difficult um, to work through, my anxiety and stress is up, you know, way, way high. And then on top of all dealing, you know, working with the kids and being present for them and helping them go through their escalations, it's hard. And so going back to valuing that team and allowing SPED teachers to have a team, I'm very fortunate. Katie can call it out and she can see it in me and she can say, okay, I'll trade you spots. You know, you go take a break or you go do your paperwork and I'll handle this for you. For the teachers who don't have that and they do have to wear both hats, that's extremely hard. And again, it just hurts the kids. Um, changes need to happen at a systemo- systematic level.
3: And I was like that for a while at a small school. I was the only SPED teacher. It was weird. It was when I was new at it, too. And then there'd be, like, someone part-time, and it is really long. I want to say one of the things that I did think about is when we're talking about that being part of a team, that's another catch-22 in special ed, especially in our district. We're supposed to be, we're our team. We're special educators, right? We're we're here to collaborate and to work together. Um, But we're also part of the school team. Like you know, a leadership, and we have a thing here called Sunshine Committee. You can imagine who might be on that. Um, <laughs> we have, we have, um, we have all these different roles within our school community, and then also within our special ed community. And so, when the district—and I'm going to say it loud and louder and louder as I get older—and when they just pluck people out and move them willy-nilly around from schools, the response from our administration is. Well, SPED's its own entity. You're kind of like part of the military. We can move you where you want. But so we're also yanked out of our school family and Mm -hmm. put a different place. We don't have the same voice and choice as most general educators do. I mean, SPED could call us after this and say, you've been a little too loud, Kim. We're bringing up the special case and we're moving you over here. No. Um, but but truly, that that is a weird feeling that we're told to belong, but also that we belong to them. And it's 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 a it's a hard place to be sometimes.
2: Well, our you know our license itself, you know, pre K to twelve, the <laughs> fact that they could just literally say, okay, Katie, you're done with elementary, and we're going to put you in high school, <laughs> like that, that's a lot, and that would be a huge jump in professional. Like my, I it would be an experience for sure. Um, but it, <laughs> I think valuing yeah our teams on top of what another unique part of our job is many of us case manage with families for six years. So kinder through fifth, if people imagine like we have followed or been with that family for so many years, it's, you can't put a value on that actually. And I think that them realizing valuing those relationships is essential because there's a lot of trust that goes into that with families. And there are times that maybe that could not be a positive thing, but I think in, For us, we value trying to build healthy relationships with families because it is important for our job to be successful. So it's just really unfortunate to hear this happening to teachers all the time. It's like, oh, nope, you're done and moving. And they they act like that we're supposed to just adapt to that. And like, I just can't.
0: We we take the
3: legal part of our jobs very seriously. We say to parents, this is a legal contract, this IAP. You can move to Alaska. You can move to Kansas. You can move anywhere. This is a legal document. We want to build this document. And I think sometimes what our admin may or may not realize is how much litigation we save them from, yes. mm-hmm. you know, we'll have, a, as we call it a hot parent, not hot, like in the hot way, but like a parent <laughs> who's maybe a little upset and we will talk to them and explain to them. And I mean, I know we've
2: done a lot of-, of Because who do the families them. come to?
3: Us uh, first.
2: Right. And So we really are their filter of like, here's what we can do to fix this. And if not, we can also be the advocate of like, I think when districts are out of line, And that whose responsibility is it to call that out? And I think we do have a legal obligation. We know their rights and that's where it gets really tricky. I think we're, we want to respect and be partners with our district, but we also are the advocates for these families and these students. And we want to, I think we're put in a really vulnerable position that way and deciding who do we protect. And I think most of us will say we're going to protect our students. That's what we're here to do.
3: We also have more bosses. I was thinking of the other difference than <laughs> gen ed teachers because we have a, a building administrator, our principal, who's our boss, but then we have leveled administrators, our other bosses, and then they have a boss who's our big boss. I mean, we have lots of bosses, <laughs> and yeah. we're kind of bossy <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> but really do, that's, that's different than than you know a gen ed. We have a lot of people... Um, a lot of chains of command and things. And that's a different position to be in. Because, and sometimes those two entities, the administrative entities, don't see eye to eye on different things, too. So okay. we really are in the middle of it. We really are loving armadillos.
0: <laughs> um, well, and, and so much of what we've talked about today um, goes back to having strong teams and strong unions. This is how things get changed. You know, when we have people who come yeah. together see a need, and respond as as a group of, you know, in solidarity, and I can tell that that's something that you bring to your school and to your students is that they have a team that is going to advocate for each and every child, and that is so powerful, Um, and and that their need gets amplified through your voice, your voices, but your collective voice. um, Powerful, and I feel like I could just talk, I talk, talk, talk with you guys all day. Um, And I do need to wrap us up. Thank you all again for being here, Kim Sullivan, Katie Gates, and Kenny Long. Um, If you are curious about learning more about special education, we invite you to visit Oregon Council for Exceptional Children's website. They have great resources and they have a mini grant opportunity. You do not have to be a member to apply, but if you're looking for another great team uh, to join, I highly recommend you look at some of the fabulous work the Council for Exceptional Children does. And um, is there anything else you guys wanted to share before we sign off? I I wanted to say, Venus, if
3: people had questions or I would like us to build our networks, too. I mean, you could provide our emails if, if yeah. listeners, um, you know, had additional questions or suggestions, because let's collaborate even you know we we we're all in this we're we're with educators in you know in milwaukee and with you know over in condon the small school district and up at mckenzie bridge we are we are special educators and we don't need to be islands you know we can be more like the puget sound with a lot of inlets
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it that reminds me too that your oea um, team has a special ed advisory committee Uh, They're always looking for members and they are always open to hear your questions. Um, There is a a Google form called SPED Connect where folks can ask questions of the special ed committee, get resources, get information. um, And I will ask us to put that in the program notes too somewhere. So there's a link to that as well as Kenny and Katie and Kim's emails. That is such a generous offer. Um, You can also put my email in there as well. I would love to be able to continue to support each other because um, we are making some systems change happen that needs to happen and it's a slow process but together, it's, the heavy lift isn't so heavy on just the individual we can all do it together So yeah, and I'm so grateful I get to work with you I ah, love getting to see your faces today and hope that you get to have some rest today and not all of the wiki wiki Um and I saw t- Kenny that your thank charger. Thank you for letting dropped. us
2: talk about all well, we love. Oh, yeah. We could all go on forever. I know. We need
0: our own podcast, just the four of us. We'll just, you know,
1: <laughs> I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us on Venus.
0: My pleasure.
1: For more
0: OEA professional learning opportunities, visit Grow dot Oregon Ad dot org.